Alright, welcome to Tefl Waffle. I'm Troyful, that's Stiefel. Stiefel was just telling me a story about Tintin. Okay, so l- let me tell you the story. Um, uh, I got a copy of this thing, Tintin in Africa, which um, in South Africa was banned, obviously, uh, for many reasons. And it, I was reading through it, and it's, it's probably one of the worst Tintins I've ever read. It's got a very loose plot line, and he goes to Africa and uh, attacks by lions, and uh, he gets worshipped by the African people and all sorts of stuff. Anyway, in one of the scenes, he goes into a, a missionary school, and the mathematics teacher has run away. So Tintin says, oh, I'll teach the class. And uh, I love seeing on movies and in books, classroom scenes. I, I, I always find it interesting to watch these mythical teachers, these... Really? I, I find so often whenever I see a teacher in a movie or even if it isn't a book, I, it takes me out of the movie or it takes me out of the book and I start looking at the teacher instead of watching the movie and go, that's not how... You don't... Hey, come on, that would never... He would... It, it takes me out of the moment. Mm, although, I mean, a, a lot of the movies, a lot of the teachers in movies are fairly realistic. They're, they're realistic of what people think teachers do. A stereotypical... Yeah, yeah. yeah. So in uh, for, uh, one of the things that I've read recently, uh, Stephen King's got a short story called Here There Be Tigers. And it's about a little boy in a classroom who wants to go to the toilet. And he, he's, afraid, he's afraid of going to the toilet because there's a tiger in the toilet. Um... And the teacher's droning on at the front of the class, and, and he's scared of the teacher. And it's actually quite a... I think it's quite a realistic scene of what happens in a classroom. I'm going to have to find that story. <laughs> anyway, back to Tintin. So he's teaching Matt. So okay, in, you're going to hear a weird clicking noise as I say, Stephen King short story in my phone. Here there be tigers, yeah. So uh, Tintin goes up to the front of the class and he writes 2 plus 2 on the board and he says to the class, um, we'll begin, if you please, with a few sums. Who can tell me what is 2 plus 2? Now, the language is way too difficult and if he's teaching 2 plus 2, uh, chances are they're not going to be able to understand some of the language that he's using anyway. So anyway... That he asks, what's 2 plus 2? gets no answer, and he says, 2 plus 2 equals, and still no answer, there's a little dot, dot, dot. And then a leopard comes into the classroom, and Tintin fights off the leopard, and the leopard leaves, and then a man comes running in to... Hang on. Tintin fights off off the leopard, and then once he's kicked the leopard out of the classroom, he says, all right, so, yeah, okay, as we were saying, what's 2 plus 2? Yes, okay, I'll say it again. Uh, which is actually quite interesting because if one of my teachers fought off a lion, I don't think, or a top leopard, uh, I don't think we'd be interested in two plus two anymore. I don't know. That kind of stuff has happened to me. Not a lion or a leopard, but some random distraction, disruption, and then you say, right, everyone, so um, what do you call the thing that... No, no, I disagree. If In Cambodia, for example, we had that coup. Yeah. There was a coup, and... Um, they were, they were fighting on the streets and gunshots and um, and the this the students were 
completely debilitated by the excitement. Uh, there was no way there was a, there was going to be any learning. And I remember when I was a kid, we had snow in Johannesburg, and it was the first time we'd seen snow. And uh, it was during school time. And um, we hijacked the class. The, the teacher couldn't do anything with us. We wanted to look outside. We wanted to go outside. We wanted to touch whatever it was. She wouldn't let us go out, but... Um, the whole the hour teaching, became about, yeah. no, you're not allowed to go outside and touch <laughs> yeah. the snow. <laughs> yeah. Okay, but, I mean, look, sure, some of those things happened to me very early on in my career where either I let something happen... Uh, I, I let the derailment continue, and... Uh, now that doesn't happen I go into class knowing that a derailment is going to happen so I take care of it immediately and then just get on with it can't derailments be a good source of, of learning I mean it, it creates learning possibilities fantastic we had a 10 at, uh, the students were given 6 or 7 oh, sorry. there was a big earthquake and tsunami in Japan in 2011 11, yeah. Yeah, somewhere around that and I was teaching a, a bunch of adults who had colleagues in Japan, and I knew that. And I went to class that day with a little piece of paper, and it said, uh, prepare a 30-second BBC news report on the, what's happened in Japan. Please use the following, try to use the following words. And I, I made sure there were words that were actually being used in the news report. So there were evacuate, uh, tidal wave, etc., um, because I didn't want to have a 30-minute discussion where one of the guys go, oh, yes, my ex-colleague is there and he's missing and no one's heard from him and his mother called me and I find it hard to get past that. So, I, yeah, sure, it was a learning opportunity. Yeah, but, but, but I mean, if, if there is an actual person in the class with that experience, um, it, it serves a cathartic purpose for that student who's got something to tell. I'm I'm pretty sure I'm there to teach English, not be the <laughs> therapist. I mean, I get it. I can't ignore it. They're human beings. No, but indeed. But but the experience of telling the story is is language being produced and listened to because it's interesting for the rest of the class. Are you sure? For the other nine students, and okay, it was a small class, about ten students. But for the other nine students, I don't think that nine of them would be engaged. Three, four, maybe. Mm. If somebody has a presentation to give, you're lucky if half the audience is paying attention. Mm. Uh, if somebody's having a discussion, I mean, how often is it that you can have a discussion where one person is holding court over a massive group? That that person needs to be incredibly charming, and and uh, there's lots of other factors that go on there. I I just I would be sitting there the whole time going. Well, this is an interesting story about, oh, my God, those other five guys are so bored and yeah. one wasting class time. I, I have had that, yes. Anyway, back to Tintin. Okay, back to so Tintin. So he's now kicked out the leopard. And then immediately goes straight back to... Goes to asking his question again with so no come response. come on, two plus two is one? Yeah, no response from the students. And then another man comes in who obviously is part of the mission and he kicks up a fuss and Tintin and this guy have a discussion at the front of the class... Or they have a discussion about, oh, that was my leopard, how yeah, do you... Yeah. So it's actually it's that guy interrupting about the thing that was just the interruption. Right. And then the guy goes out and Tintin goes back and he says, right, for the third time now, two plus two makes what? And at that point, the the, the pastor comes back in and says, okay, lunch is ready, and, and off they go. Thanks so much for looking after these children. Okay, lunch is ready. 
Yeah. While I was reading it, okay, you're talking about being taken out of the story. So I was actually taken out of the story. I went, I thought to myself, now, is this an example of really bad eliciting? Because um, <coughs> Tintin is asking this question, what's two and two? He, and he asks it three times in, in the space of two pages um, with no response from the kids. In actual fact, the kids, the, the picture of the kids is only in two, three of the little blocks in this whole scene. So the kids are, are not really part of this. And I wondered about experiences I've had with asking questions and p- teachers I've watched who've asked questions about no response. And um, the, the question about when we're eliciting, are we abdicating our responsibility from actually teaching something? Because Tintin is now asking the question, what's two plus two? And he's got no answer. And then he asks it again. And then he asks it again. Obviously, they don't know. Or... They don't understand the question. Or they don't understand the or question or something. And then it's his responsibility now to actually teach it. So he's gone through that entire lesson, killing leopards and fighting with people, and but he hasn't actually taught anything to the students, and, and that's what he's there to do. He's teaching a class. Okay, so, which I assume is supposed to be the, the kind of the funny part mm-hmm. of the story is he's just done one hour of, well, of nothing. nothing. Of yeah. nothing. And he's taught nothing. And... Um, the question of eliciting, do, when we're eliciting, are we abdicating our responsibility of teaching anything? Now, I know... Explain what you mean by abdicating our okay, responsibility. So, uh, 2 plus 2 makes what? And the class gives me no answer. Come on, uh, tell me now. What is 2 plus 2, everybody? I know you know this. Just tell me what 2 plus 2 is. Um, instead of, right, guys, so I have two leopards and I have two... Other leopards, for example, now I'm teaching, right? Um, okay. I mean, I, I don't know if I'd use leopards, but anyway, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm not teaching these two and these two together make this this four. Uh, that's actually teaching. Okay. Um, be, and the question that I've asked has led me to believe that I need to teach it, so I teach it. Um, you mean the first question where you said, what's two, two plus two, two, and they, they you got a non-response? Right. So my my... My eliciting leads me to teach the thing that I, I couldn't get the response from. If I keep asking and I keep getting no response, um, I'm eliciting, but I'm not actually teaching anything. Well, there's no learning coming out of the... Okay, so by abdicating, you're saying that you're putting the... the re- it's the student's fault. Yeah, what you mean. yeah. Why aren't you responding to me, class? Come on, man. Okay, fair enough. And then I don't teach it because I think the class is being belligerent or difficult. Mode, and yeah. Yes, that's right. And, and how dare you behave like this? <laughs> yeah, true. Uh, I mean, look, okay, uh, you're Tintin. Are you, what are you doing after the second question? Hopefully you're doing it after the first question, but uh, are you going to, okay, these are two leopards. That's what I would need to do, yes. I think that's still... That's still the teacher being a little bit stubborn, the teacher going, okay, look, come on, look, see, there are two leopards here, right, and now there are another two leopards here, right, so what's the two leopards together? I think as a teacher, we're normally, we're trying to find a jumping off point. We start somewhere and then we build from that, that thing, whatever that thing is, so you'd have to go, okay, what's this, and they say it's a leopard, and how many leopards, Mm. and you have to establish what they do know before you can, can build on that, and, and fine absolutely sometimes i go to class and i'm planning on teaching the third conditional and i realize that oh wait the students don't know if they just 
don't know the, the word if. And not only do they not know if, they don't know uh, the grammar structures that go into a third conditional, part perfect and present perfect, and, no, and but, auxiliaries. But, and, and but, but sorry, sorry to interrupt you, but uh, th then that's exactly the point. They don't know it, and you're there to teach it. And, and your job as a teacher is to teach this new language to them. The assumption that they do know it allows you to abdicate your responsibility of oh, teaching okay. anything so because you, 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 okay, you guys know this already, good, so I'll teach it to you again, means I'm only teaching things that the students already know. Which is already redundant. Right. Although, I mean, the, the, the counter-argument is we have passive knowledge of things, which... Sure. Um, so we can access their passive knowledge and make it active, and that's what eliciting is supposed to do then, uh, is it, it activates passive vocabulary. And, okay. Um, but the eliciting process can dominate. This is, this is my concern. I'm so busy eliciting that I actually just don't bother teaching anything. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I could see that. I, I, <laughs> okay, now that you, you phrase it that way, yes, I've seen that quite a lot, uh, especially in, uh, in a strange way. The newer teachers who are trying very hard, they're, they're trying to make sure that they do it correctly, or at least their understanding of what's correct or the, what they understand from what their trainer wants from them or the observer is looking, looking for... And so they do fixate on that. But I think for those teachers at the same time, they're also quite fixated on... Uh, I've seen my trainer do it or another teacher do it, or mm. I, I know that it does work, and I know that it can happen. Yeah. So in a way, what they're, they're struggling to do is emulate... All right, you used the word correct in, in that. L let's, let's unpack that. What is the, the correct way? Of, is there a correct way of, of eliciting? Of eliciting? Is yeah. there a correct way? Yeah. Um, as a bouncing board for this, I would say early on, you, you talked about finding what they do know and yeah. building, using that as a... Um, and a maybe, springboard. Yeah. yeah, maybe that's a good answer. Is uh, Maybe that's a good beginning. Um, I'm eliciting and they haven't got it. I'll, let me backtrack to something that they do know and then build up from there. Yeah. Okay. Is there something else that you would say is a good principle for eliciting? Uh, I would say that a common thing for me is there are plenty of times where I I don't know that they don't know it, but I have an assumption that it might be unknown or that it might be really passive knowledge. Passive in the, the sense, not, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I've seen that word used, rather just I've seen that word. I've been exposed to it, but I, I didn't even understand it then. Or I have a very vague and, and general understanding. And so when I'm, I'm doing that, I'm trying to get to the point where even if they're not giving me the language that I want, they're answering every question about the language. Um, let's say I, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm trying to teach them something really basic like remote control. Okay, just remote control. Now, if I'm asking the, the students, okay, I've, I've backtracked to, good, they know what a TV is and they get what a TV is. And then I get from there and they do answer me correctly when I ask about, well, sometimes you don't want to stand up and you sit on your sofa and, and they go, oh, yeah, um, 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 but they don't respond. And I go, oh, okay, maybe they don't know the word or they probably don't know the word because they get this idea of I'm sitting on the sofa and I'm watching TV and I want to change the channel, turn up the volume, but they don't give me the, the language the that I want. Yeah. Okay, from that point then... I'm going to ask a whole bunch of questions about the word without yet supplying the word to, to check. I want to know, 
do they genuinely know what I'm talking about and just not know the word? Can is this wasting time in the classroom? Could you could you now assume that they know the concept but they don't know the word and just model it and move on? Yeah, because yeah. if if but do I know or do I assume? Uh, I mean, does is it does it matter? You've activated their you've activated their conceptual understanding of what it is that you you. To me, in. to me, it matters. Why? Uh, because I'm scared that I go, oh, you don't know that? Okay, we call it a remote control. And then later on, uh, the, the students are doing a practice task, and I see that they've mixed up a remote control and iPad, for example. I don't know why they've mixed those okay. two up, but obviously they're in part of my lesson. So they've, they've misunderstood the, the meaning of the word? or they've Not just that they've misunderstood. Uh, as I didn't know what they misunderstood. Oh, even worse. I assumed they understood because I went, oh, they don't know remote control. Okay, so here it is. Here's the word. And I, I just provide it like that. And I don't find out until later on when they're in the middle of a practice task, or even worse, right into the production, I realize, oh, they're using it completely incorrectly. Okay, so how do you check? How, now, they haven't answered your, your <coughs> question about what remote control is. They look like they think they know... They look like they think they know. And they're trying to answer, but they can't access it. What what questions are you going to ask to check? I'm, I'm going to use all of my concept check questions. I mean, generally speaking, we elicit a word, they give us the word, and then we ask some questions to make sure they understand. We concept check. Mm. Or in a lot of cases, we elicit that word in 10 other words, and then we ask questions to make sure they know the differences between them. And we ask those questions after eliciting. But if I'm unable to elicit, I'm going to ask all of those questions first so that I know they know. I, I want to know now. I don't want to find out later on and have to deal with it. But if you if you model the word and then ask the concept check questions to check that they understand the concept, it's going to serve the same purpose. As long as I ask the concept check questions, yes. As long as I don't go, oh, they don't know the word. Here, here you go. It's remote control. All right, so I our, our principle is... We access the student's concept, they can't answer, we concept check in some way and model the word for them. I don't know, I think you, you've got a valid point there. Would it matter if I... I'm quite sure that they don't know the word remote control, so I provide the word, I model it, I, I might even drill it if I have to at that point, and do then ask my concept check questions, or do I ask all my concept check questions and then provide them with the word and, and model it? Uh, I can see that providing it to them, even though I don't do it this way, <laughs> giving it to them at that point and then asking my concept checking questions might be more valid because then all those questions they're, uh, they're answering, they're not going, yeah, it does take batteries, what's the thing? Yeah, it, it can be used for volume as well as channels, but what's the thing? I, maybe that's distracting. I should give them the word and then ask rather okay. than say... Okay, well, can you do anything else with the remote control? Uh, do you need to plug the remote control into the wall? Is it connected to your TV? Can you walk away from your TV with the remote control? Have you ever lost it? Um, all right. So let's go to uh, the other question. What are some principles of eliciting which are, are to be avoided or ways of eliciting that? One that comes to my mind immediately is, so what does remote control mean? Oh, yes, that's my big one. <laughs> what does X mean? Or can anyone tell me what X is? Or the one that's related uh, but often has, for me as an observer, more humorous uh, responses is, so can you use remote control in a sentence? 
because the sentence is something like, this is a remote control, and it doesn't demonstrate any understanding whatsoever. Mm. So yes, what does blank mean? The what does blank mean when I... I dislike it for a couple of reasons, but the, the biggest one being, if my students do not explain it to me in this scenario, not that I would use the question, if they are unable to tell me what a remote control is, that does not tell me that they don't know what it is that tells me that they might not know what it is or they cannot put into words a definition. So I'll tell you what, if you ask me, if you ask me in another language, uh, you ask me in Vietnamese, so what does name mean? I couldn't give you the words I, I need to define that word. I couldn't do that in English. If somebody says to me, what does behavior mean? I can't, I can't answer that You can't question. define it. Yeah, I mean, it's my language and I'm fairly well educated, but I can't do that. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So there's the, whether they answer or not, I don't know if they know. Mm. Uh, sorry, if they do answer, it's going to be that one strong student who has a lot of extra supporting language that they can draw on to, to explain the thing, unless I'm teaching that language. Uh, it's the thing that's made from and looks like, and then that'd be a great question to get them to uh, what they call accurate reproduction, reproduce the language themselves. But it's not a great way for me to... To concept check, no. The, the what does blank mean? Or I don't like. Can you use blank in a sentence? No, I don't like. Um, my mine. I have a kind of a rule of three thing. Seems a bit abstract, but it, it works for me. If the students uh, wait more than three seconds to answer my question, they need some more information. Either they cannot put into words the answer to the question I'm asking, uh, in which case it's probably a bad question, it's way too open, or they just don't know the answer. Uh, or perhaps they're just completely confused and mentally on, off on a, a whole different tangent, this stuff. So three seconds, I'm, I'm going to ask another question that provides some input. And it might be something like, um, does a remote control take batteries? It might be that simple. Or it could be something just, if I don't get a response to that, it could be something bizarre. Uh, can you eat a remote control? Just so they say no, so I can check that they're actually following my questions. Mm. Uh, the other one I dislike is no. Oh, sorry, rule of three. Also, mm. if my students answer wrong three times in a row, it's become a guessing game. Mm. It's a remote control. No, no, something else. Uh, 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 laser pointer. No, no, something else. Uh, 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 a stick. Well, that, I think that that's a good point. Uh, eliciting is not guessing what's in the teacher's brain. It's not meant to be a guessing game. It, I take eliciting to be a finding out what they already know and then using that as a bouncing port or accessing their schema, by making them start thinking about the thing that I'm trying to teach them so that, they, that that information is ready to go. So asking the question and eliciting, okay, well, so guys, what is 2 plus 2? I'm only going to ask that question because I want them to start thinking about addition or whatever it is so that I can start with the rest of the lesson. <coughs> um, but, uh, yes, uh, uh, eliciting is easily abused. The, the, the no thing is my problem, mm. saying no to the students. Um, on paper, I can sit down and I can give you very definitive reasons why you should not say no when you elicit. I say to the students, well, you know, what could you wear on your feet? And they say, um, flip-flops. Or for that matter, I say, what can you wear on your feet? And they say, ah, oh, toes. 
or pizza for that matter. Saying no on paper is saying to the student, don't guess. If you don't know, don't answer. Uh, unless you're absolutely sure you've got the correct answer, don't participate. I mean, I mean in fact, kind of discouraging participation. Uh, that's fine. Uh, I can look at that on paper and tell you absolutely don't say no when you're listening. You oh. discourage participation. You are also, in a way, kind of punishing the student for not being able to read your mind. Uh, don't say no. Mm. But I think that's more about how the teacher says no, not the fact that they're saying no. Uh, personally, I think a much better response is, yeah, good, we, we can wear flip-flops. What about something made from leather? I have to admit, I say no. Um, I, I smile and say no. And I, I know when I'm doing it that I, I shouldn't be doing that uh, on, in theory. But sometimes it's just so much easier to go, you know, let's another eye. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I, I think the better response is, yes, I'm acknowledging that you're participating and joining in and, and your answer is appropriate or it fits what we're talking about or sometimes your answer is inappropriate and I, I suddenly realize oh wow where I mentally the students you just said opening the schema they, mm. it's not open they're not thinking about the the topic that I'm thinking about or talking about sure sometimes that that is the response the, the wrong answer uh, but I've seen teachers who go uh, well what about if you know you're really hot what could you do to cool down? And a student says, well, turn on the aircon. And the teacher goes, no, 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 we're, we're in the jungle. I think that that no is okay because the teacher isn't saying, no, you're wrong. The teacher is going, the teacher is saying, ah, oh, but that doesn't fit this. I'm going to use your answer to give you some more information to get to where I want to go. And I've seen teachers do that. And even though I don't do it, I, I can't say it doesn't work, even though I'm in, in theory, but I think a lot of the stuff in theory does work if the teacher delivers it well or carefully or, or well-intentioned. Or... Yeah, sure. Mm. I mean, this, this is a question, though, of uh, is there a wrong thing to do or a wrong way of doing it? And I think the answer is often going to be there's a wrong way rather than a wrong thing. Right. Okay, I agree with that. Back to Tintin. Okay, back um, to Tintin. We've got so asking, asking what's 2 plus 2 is not wrong. That's um, not wrong. Um, and uh, a non-response actually does tell him something. Something. Um, we can't guess how long he's been asking this question and fighting on papers and so on, but it certainly wasn't a constructive lesson for the students in the class, and that makes it wrong uh, from the perspective of what it is. From the perspective of he was supposed to teach them something. Uh, oh, no. Let's not look at it that way because there's a much better way of looking at it. The students were supposed to learn something from the lesson. Right. Now, if they learnt that thing regardless of what he did, uh, sure, that means he didn't teach well, but that doesn't mean it was a waste of a lesson. In this case, uh, well, actually, in this case, at the end of the lesson, all we know is that he walked out without ever getting an answer to anything. So we, we as far as we know, he may have initially asked the question and the students all sat there and went, Hey, man, that's a weird accent. I don't understand this guy. Or they sat there going, wow, check this guy. He's a foreigner and he's in our class. And, and they're having a completely different internal discussion with themselves. Um, but we, what we do know is he kept the students busy and the missionary was pleased and fed him. 
<laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> Afterwards. Yeah. I think uh, you, there's one thing that you missed in this whole Tintin thing that oh. I, I, you gave it to me to read just before we had this discussion. The opening of this is, okay, the, this, uh, the missionary or pastor or whoever, the, the guy who runs this place walks in and introduces Tintin. Uh, uh, this is your class. You, you'll enjoy teaching them, yada, yada. And say, the students say, hi, Mr. Tintin. Uh, and then the very first thing that happens is Tintin. What's his dog's name again? Snowy. Snowy. Um, the first thing that happens before Tintin says a word to the class is Snowy says, Tintin, two of them are talking at the back. Which, uh, <laughs> strangely enough, I'm, I'm going to say this, I think uh, Tintin might not be that bad a teacher because he chooses to, instead of going, oh, let's deal with the whole thing at the back, he gets on with his job of, well, initially anyway. He tries to get on with his job. Could and, we argue that Snowy is more um, aware of what's going on in the classroom than Tintin is? We could argue that, or we could also argue that uh, Tintin, uh, Tintin is more concerned with teaching the students than uh, governing the students and, and being their boss and, and dealing with their behaviour. I think that's a topic for a podcast on classroom management. <laughs> yes, quite possibly. <laughs> Tefola Fall is proudly brought to you by the Nonstop Buffalers, Troy and Steve. For any questions, comments, complaints, or queries, you can email tefolafall at gmail.com or visit www.tefolafall.com.